Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Crockcast Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, along with my co-host, Matt. Hey. And today we're joined by um, Master Soon and Box Turtle researcher, Emma Browning. Emma, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, Emma, you want to go over a little bit about how you first uh, got into reptiles? Yeah, so um, I grew up on a ranch in Texas, and so I was always outside, um, and so I ran into a lot of wild animals, and that included snakes, uh, box turtles, um, amphibians even, like toads, um, and I always just thought they were really interesting. Um, it's helpful that my mom supported this weird fascination <laughs> that I had, um, and my sister was actually uh, really into biology as well, and uh, my oldest sister is about like six years older than I am. And she would take these biology classes when I was like really young, um, like in kindergarten. And she'd come back and tell me about what she'd learned. And one thing that she told me that had me sold on reptiles and amphibians was that uh, frogs and toads use their eyeballs to like push down their food when they swallow. I thought that was like the weirdest, coolest thing um, so yeah, that's really what sparked my interest was just how I grew up and that I had support through like my mom and my sister. Um, and after that, I actually, anytime I would eat, I would actually like close my eyes cause I thought I was helping like the food go down <laughs> by closing my eyes. Um, so yeah, that's really where it started. So, uh, you currently are doing your master's finish up your master's at the University of Georgia. So, um, and you're currently doing your master's research with box turtles at Savannah River Ecology Lab, right? Yes. Okay, so uh, wanna go over a little bit about what exactly your research is about and what it entails? Yeah, so we're looking to see if we can release turtles that have been confiscated from the illegal wildlife trade, if we can put them back out into the wild. And um, the way we're doing this is, um, well, I'll start. Uh, turtles are declining worldwide. Um, and a huge problem is the illegal pet trade. And um, it's actually happening in our very own backyard. Um, the eastern box turtle, which is what I'm studying, is being collected from the wild and being sold to the illegal pet trade at an alarming rate. Um, so pop populations are vanishing. And so, uh, Law enforcement, uh, they are confiscating a lot of these animals that are being exported, but this doesn't, this is just the first step to solving the problem. Uh, when they have these huge confiscations, uh, animals are either euthanized or they're put in facilities to live out the rest of their lives. And so we're trying to find a solution to see if we can actually put these animals back out into the wild so wild populations don't completely vanish. Um, and so we have a bunch of turtles that were confiscated from, from the illegal pet trade, and we've been looking at their movements for the past two years, as well as their health and survival. Um, so that's what my project has been looking at. Um, what would be the main uh, target destination of most of these turtles are being illegally collected? Um, so like where they're being collected from or? Uh, that and where they're usually being uh, shipped to. Okay, so the southeast is like a huge target because we have such a diversity in turtle species. Um, but a lot of them are, they're being sold to the pet trade, but a lot of them go overseas. Um, China is a big um, destination for turtles. Uh, everyone loves box turtles. They're really colorful. They have personality, so people want them as pets. 
Um, so, but they, I mean, they're being exported to other countries, but I think China is a, is a big one. I had heard, I don't know if this is true. I had heard that box turtles, like Eastern box turtles are like, I don't remember exactly where, I think it was like Mississippi, like they're native there and then everywhere else they're invasive. They're technically like invasive in most places. Is, is that true? I don't, uh, no, uh, box turtles are native, um, throughout the, throughout the South or the Eastern U.S. Um, there's actually a lot of subspecies. There's six subspecies that are in the U.S., but, um, yeah, no, they're, they're native, uh, to this area. That's what I thought. I just, I remembered someone had said, like, it was like a professor or something had said something like they're, they're only native in like a really small range and that they're, they were dispersed or something. I don't remember exactly what it oh, was. But. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, I had heard like maybe there some of their ranges increasing because they're like one of the most moved turtles because, you know, people will take them off roads and put them somewhere else. But um, I wouldn't say that they're like invasive in other places. Um, they are native to the eastern U.S. Okay, cool. So uh, outside of uh, illegal collection, what are some other threats that are facing uh, box turtles? So um, habitat fragmentation, um, roads are a huge problem for turtles. Um, they're often hit by vehicles, obviously. And then, um, and then development of their habitat. Um, you know, as we clear habitat for homes, you know, a lot of animals lose, lose what they've been living in. Um, yeah, those are other like two big issues with, uh, with box turtles. Okay, and uh, your research has, is focused on seeing if reintroduced, uh, recovered, Ill illegally collected turtles can uh, fare well in the wild. Have you seen any results with that research? Yeah, so I'm actually, um, we have two years of data that we're looking at. And um, whenever, so these animals that were uh, confiscated were brought to the Savannah River site um, that's where the Savannah River Ecology Laboratory is. And um, we actually put them in this big soft release pen. Um, and so one thing where we noticed when we opened this pen so that they could move freely is that they just dispersed. Um, they moved huge distances. I mean, one little female almost moved two miles away from the pen. Um, so they did move quite a bit, but they have... Um, a majority of my turtles did settle in the same area and they've been there um, for the last probably year and a half, I would say. Um, so I still need to analyze data. I'm still working on calculating year two movement metrics, but it does look promising. Um, I did just calculate uh, their winter dormancy sites. Uh, we're looking to see if uh, year one dormancy sites were close to their year two dormancy sites. And uh, we're seeing that there is some fidelity there. They're kind of staying in the same area as they did the previous year. And we also, I forgot to mention, we also added these resident wild box turtles to the study so that we could compare their movements with the confiscated turtles, just to see if our confiscated turtles are acting like normal box turtles. And um, they're both of their like distances between year one and year two dormancy sites were uh, pretty similar. Um, so that was a good sign. Uh, but other than that, we're still looking at, uh, our data before we can really confirm if it's, you know, successful or not. 
Uh, so do you uh, radio track Easter dolls? Is that your form of tracking them then? Yes. So um, before we um, open the pen for them to be to roam freely on the site, we actually put uh, transmitters on 35 turtles. And I tracked them twice weekly since then. And uh, they really gave me a run for my money. Uh, you know, people don't realize it, but turtles move um, really fast and they can swim. Uh, Eastern box turtles are more aquatic than people realize. Um, I had several turtles uh, swim across a sizable creek. Um, this creek is pretty wide in some areas and goes over my head, uh, which I found out, unfortunately, <laughs> whenever I was tracking them. Uh, so, so yeah, that's how we're tracking their movements as we use these transmitters and yeah, we're tracking them twice weekly and then we're using the coordinates that I collected um, to analyze uh, these movement metrics or the movement data. Now, obviously you don't want the natural populations to, to decline, but do they have major ecological roles, uh, the box turtle? Yeah, so um, they're big with um, like seed dispersal. Um, I was reading that I think uh, they disperse like uh, mayapple seeds. Um, so they're really important in that sense. Um, and yeah, uh, so they are, um, they are important to the environment. I also, they also serve as like food for other animals too. And um, yeah, they're, they're important. <laughs> uh, so have there been any other uh things have affected these reintroduced turtles? Like, is there any, like, signs of diseases or malnourishment that seem to have affected them? Yeah, so um, that's something we're looking at. It's not just movement, but also health and survival. So when we first got these animals, and before they were put out in this soft-release pen, um, we got uh, swabs uh, and just did an overall, like, health check on them. And so... Currently, these swabs are actually being um, analyzed at a university in Illinois, um, and we're going to see if there's any pathogens that may be present in these animals. Um, when they did arrive, uh, they weren't in very good condition. Uh, they were found in like these tubs out in the sun with no water, so they weren't in very good health when they were confiscated. Um, so there were some, uh, some that kind of suffered from that, but... Um, yeah, so, yeah, there are concerns for pathogens um, or diseases, um, but, yeah, that's something I'm looking at uh, for my study. And have you noticed any, like, higher uh, morbidity rate among the in reintroduced versus the natives? Yes, yeah, so um, we haven't lost any resident turtles from the study, but we did, um, we did lose some individuals that were uh, confiscated. Um, and some of that was due to predation. Uh, so I think coyotes and raccoons, they love turtles. <laughs> um, so some of them uh, did uh, die because of that. But, um, but yeah. I didn't, know, I, I didn't know coyotes and raccoons could crack through a turtle shell. Yeah, yeah, they can. Um, and we actually, that's something we did with the self-release pen. We kept these animals in this pen for about seven months. And we had game cameras and we saw all kinds of things. Uh, raccoons and coyotes were the main uh, predator, but we also saw possums and bobcats even. Um, so yeah, they they like to eat turtles, uh, coyotes and uh, raccoons especially. 
Have you had any issues with people hitting box turtles? Um, like like on roads or anything? Yeah, yeah, on roads, yeah. Yeah, so uh, so the Savannah River site is um, owned by the Department of Energy, and so it's a protected site. You have to like have a badge to get into it, um, mm -hmm. and you have to like call out to be on the property. If you don't like, they'll come find you with a helicopter and like other security. So it's this protected site. So and so there's not a lot of people driving where my turtles are at. Um, okay. So yeah, none of mine had to deal with, uh, we do have like a little forestry road that we use to get to the site, but it's only us there. So uh, we didn't have any problems with that, luckily. <laughs> now, are they, are they pretty hardy um, towards different environments? So like you were saying, like China's a big place where they're receiving turtles. If they were um, released in an area like that, like, are they pretty hardy as being able to survive in different kind of environments like that? Or are they pretty susceptible? Um, that's a good question. I mean, um, I'm not sure what the climate is there, but I, I think they could uh, do well as long as it's warm um, and it doesn't you know, get too cold. Uh, but I imagine that they probably wouldn't do well in China because they just don't have like their or whatever place they might be like ship to because you know they don't have like their native food or you know anything like that actually uh i remember from our interview with kevin messenger uh he was talking about how really southern china the habitat and ecology there is almost ind indistinguishable from large parts of the southeast u.s oh really huh i, I wouldn't expect that it's really cool <laughs> yeah, it's like apparently even the same trees and very similar herpetofauna as well wow actually, oh. actually i think there's a species of turtle and China is called the Chinese uh, box turtle. That's yeah, they, they do have box turtles there. Um, but yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> uh, so other than uh, being seed dispersers and being potential prey, uh, what other role of, uh, in the environment do box turtles play with uh, like basically what's their uh, diet consist of in the wild? What does their diet consist of? Yeah. Um, yeah, so box turtles, I'm finding really eat anything. Um, I found a lot of mine eating mushrooms, uh, some were eating millipedes, um, but they have been documented to eat like roadkill. Um, and, uh, and I've seen actual like uh, video footage of one eating a uh, snake. Uh, so I think wow. they are. Yeah, I, I was very surprised. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> um, uh, so I think they're very opportunistic. Um, and I've heard of one eating a spadefoot toad. So I think they'll snatch up whatever they can if it's convenient. Um, but a lot of mine were uh, eating mushrooms whenever I found them. Uh, yeah, so. Do you know what why they specifically evolved to have that hinged door to shut them in? Because, you know, like obviously not all turtles and tortoises have that, only the, the box do. Um, that I'm aware of at least. Why would, why would they have it and not anything else? Um, you know, that's a good question. I'm not really sure why they specifically would have developed that. But I mean, yeah, it's it's perfect for, you know, protection against predators. Because, right. you know, once they get shut in that shell, you can't see them again. You know, their arms and legs are tucked in and their heads fully tucked in. So I don't know why they specifically evolved that way. Um, but I mean, yeah, it is, you know, great against predation. <laughs> 
so uh, you mentioned you were looking at their like uh, high, uh, estivation hibernation sites. Uh, so what do box turtles? What type of like little microhabitat do box turtles usually use to uh, brumate? Yeah, so um, a lot of my turtles actually uh, bury themselves deep in like mud. Um, we found a lot buried between the roots of trees. Um, and they would be like in water over the winter too. Um, it, was, it was really interesting. Um, yeah, so they're mostly like, yeah, buried in mud between the roots of trees um, is where we found our confiscated and resident turtles. And you is would... there is there any other like preferred habitats, that, uh, preferred microhabitats they tend to hang out in during the rest of the year? Yeah, so um, during the summer, they uh, you can find them in floodplain habitat. Uh, that was really surprising to me. I thought they'd be more in like hardwood forest, but they love swampy habitat. <laughs> um, and so you can find them buried in mud, um, chilling out in like creeks and stuff. Uh, so yeah, a lot of mine on the Savannah River site anyway were, yeah, were in floodplains or swampy areas. Did, um, you said you would find them overwintering in water, like, or, or they were just like in the water in, in the winter? So um, the one I'm thinking of specifically, um, so it was buried in between roots, like deep down. And when we dug it up, there was actually water at the bottom of this hole it had made. So it wasn't like fully submerged, but it was in in the water to an extent. Which is still um, pretty strange. Yeah, we found that really interesting. Um, yeah, wasn't expecting that. <laughs> now they, they when they, if they they don't dig burrows, do they? They they find burrows. Um, they don't. They they do dig. To an extent, I mean, they they dig into the mud, um, but they I want to say they use all kinds of things. I've found turtles in like hollowed out uh, logs mm. um, to to hide in. They they're a lot of times you can find them under vegetation. Um, I don't really think they really burrow, um, but they do dig a little bit. There, it's called a form is what they make, um, and they make this little indent with their shells. And um, but a lot of time it's not like technically a burrow it's just like a little kind of dugout with some leaf litter um covering them uh but yeah and i know near as proficient digger as they like a sulcata tortoise or anything like that uh, sorry what they're nowhere near as proficient a digger as say a sulcata tortoise or something like oh, that no, yeah no nothing nothing like that or like a gopher tortoise or anything they can dig but uh not they don't dig burrows or anything um so, uh, what are some other unique anatomical features of box turtles other than like their uh, hinging shells? Yeah, so um, box turtles are, are pretty strange. Um, they can, uh, one thing that's really neat in females is that they can actually store sperm for a couple of years. Um, mm -hmm. And they can actually, uh, within a clutch, have different, uh, the babies will have like different fathers. So they can you know, use, you know, different sperm. Um, and then uh, they can also, you know, we think of reptiles as uh, something that needs constant warmth to survive, which, which is true, but turtles can, uh, box turtles anyway, can really withstand crazy temperatures. Uh, box turtles uh, can 
freeze about a little over 50% of their body water and then uh, for about like 50 hours, I think, and then they can come back from that. They found ice surrounding internal organs. So you can basically like freeze and then thaw out. Kind of um, like a wood frame? Yeah, yeah. I'm not quite sure what allows them to do that, but um, yeah, it's, it's really neat. It is really neat. But it's only for 50 hours that they can do that for? I think that's what I was reading. It's a, It can't be any more than 50 hours that they can remain at that kind of temperature. Um, but they can withstand, um, you know, a long that's time of being cold. That's kind of a strange, added, something to develop, you know, like something that complex. I feel like that's something complex to develop if it only lasts for 50 hours. I mean, 50 hours is a long time, but it's not like it's not like the wood frog that does it for an entire winter, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, it is strange. But, you know, it kind of allows them to withstand those really cold, cold days. And then, you know, when it warms back up, you know, they can kind of move around, dig deeper, probably um, to get a little warmer over the winter. But, yeah, it's, it's very strange. Yeah, I yeah, guess that survive like the strange like cold snaps that you get, like the really cold snaps that you get every once in a while. Yeah. Sorry, what? I, I was just saying, like, um, I guess it's to uh, to help survive, like, like, like in the southeast when you get those random really cold snaps for mm -hmm. those brief periods it's to survive those and get through that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they range all the way up around where I live, so up here it's it's freezing right now, so. <laughs> Yeah. We do experience occasional really cold snaps that usually only last a few days. So it kind of makes sense that they'd be able to withstand a few days worth of incredibly cold temps, mm -hmm. at least their northern extent of their range. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you find that there's um that northern ranged uh, box turtles can can do that more than southern ranged or? That's a good question. You know, I'm, I'm not really sure um, how it differs between their, you know, where they're at in their range. But that's yeah. a good question. <laughs> um, also, here's another one that I, I don't know if you've looked into this or not. But um, so you're talking about how the box turtles can store sperm and in, 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 so a clutch can have multiple different fathers. Do you, uh, to your knowledge, do you know if they've ever done any studies that looked into whether they can control like what sperm to give like during a fertilization to fit like a specific environment better, if that makes sense? I, you know, I, I don't know. That's, that's another good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I know there's been studies on, um, on like different, you know, um, like, like the fathers and stuff like that. Um, yeah. but I don't know how far into depth that it's gone, um, with that, but, That'd be something really cool to look at if no one has done it so far. <laughs> would be cool. So is it true that uh, box turtles will actually have uh, different eye colors for each sex? I remember hearing that once. So um, I'm learning, uh, especially in Eastern box turtles, that this isn't really reliable. Um, so I've had really colorful females on my study. Um, they'll have the red eyes. So I'll be like, oh, that's a male. And then we look more closely and it's not it's female and uh so the best way to really tell uh between males and females is that uh like body shape so females are like really round kind of like a hockey puck and then uh males are more elongated like oval shaped hmm. um and then the you know the males will have that concavity yeah. 
in their plastrons, like a little soup bowl, basically. Um, yeah, um, so that's the best way uh, besides getting a little personal with them. You know, <laughs> if you don't want to do that, you just look at their body shape and then that see if they have that little concavity. Now, a lot of uh, a lot of reptiles can be um, hermaphroditic if they're in an area where there's not a lot of mates around. Can box turtles do that? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think so, but I haven't really looked into that. So I'm not, not sure, but I don't think so. Yeah, because I remember when I was a kid, I caught, actually how I learned that was I caught an eastern fence lizard and it had the really bright blue coloration on the, on its sides and on its neck. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, that's cool male. And then I left to go to this camp for a week. So I told my parents to feed them, which he didn't, they didn't. <laughs> and so I came back and was dead. And being a nerd, I was like, hey, I'll dissect it and <laughs> check it out. And it had a bunch of eggs in it. Um, oh, and wow. Yeah, I looked. I looked into it, and I'm, I'm assuming it was because it was during breeding season, and it was stuck in a cage. It asexually reproduced and stuff. So, but I was wondering if, if you know, maybe if you like the the box turtles that you're finding that look female but are males, or vice versa, maybe it's because of that. Or... Yeah, I yeah, that's a, another good question. I'm not really sure. I don't think box turtles do that, but I, I could be wrong. I haven't looked into it enough. So. Uh... Other than your research, uh, do you do any like uh, herping or anything like that on the side? Yeah. Um, so I do a lot of road cruising. Um, I'll go drive around, look and see if any snakes are out. And um, I go on hikes a lot and I am probably look like the weirdo in the park when I'm flipping logs. And everyone's like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I will. Um, I do go herping because I, I just I really enjoy like seeing uh, like reptiles and amphibians, so I'll try and look for them whenever I can. <laughs> Any uh, particular species you tend to find around your research area? Um, so that was the really fun part about my study was that I was always out in the woods looking for turtles, and I would always run into other things. And some of the real one of the coolest things I ran into, I ran into five timber rattlesnakes. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, they, yeah, it was so cool. Um, I w wasted so much time because I just admired them for like 20 minutes. It was so cool. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of them on my research site. Um, uh, and yeah, they were, they were really gorgeous. Um, so that was really cool to see. Um, I found some glass lizards um, on site, some really big adults, which is kind of rare to find there. Um, so uh, yeah, there's a lot of cool uh, reptile and amphibian species uh, on my research site. The um, So you mentioned the box turtles being aquatic or more aquatic than most people realize. I didn't realize they were really aquatic at all. Um, I mean, I know they could go in water, but I didn't realize they were like aquatic at all. Are they like actually like swimming around or is it more like they're like they're getting into the water or? So um, I really say they're more aquatic because I wasn't expecting them to be completely like buried in mud or being submerged in water. Um, and that's where I would find a lot of them. If they weren't basking, they were um, just hanging out in um, like little like floodplain areas. Um, and I did whenever my study first started, there was that creek that ran through my site and I had some turtles um, cross that creek um, and they, they swam across. It was a wide wide, very wide creek. Um, so 
I, they are considered terrestrial, but I, yeah, I just don't think people realize like how much they really do like to like soak in water and they can swim. They look derpy probably when they swim. <laughs> I'm not very graceful, like a slider or something, but they can do it. Unfortunately, uh, down here in Florida, a lot of people take gopher tortoises and toss them in the water because they, <laughs> they think they can, they're, they're turtles and can swim and they toss yeah. them in there and, <laughs> they either kind of just like bob or they don't do well so <laughs> yeah no that's so unfortunate uh <laughs> yeah i've definitely heard of people doing that with gopher tortoises and it's really sad uh it's like please don't do that <laughs> uh, i still don't understand how you can make that kind of a mistake but i guess it happens <laughs> yeah well you just have to educate people and hope, yeah. hope for the best that it doesn't keep happening <laughs> yeah uh, speaking of uh gopher tortoises what exactly is the scientific difference between a turtle and a tortoise? Oh, I thought you might ask me this, and I was like, I don't know how to answer that. Uh, it's, uh, My apologies. No, no, it's good. It's it's kind of like that, like, not uh, all turtles are tortoises, but, you know, all tortoises are turtles. It's like one of those. It's <laughs> um, They just, to me, they look different, but I couldn't really tell you all the characteristics to look for to describe the two. It's just, it's hard for me to explain. <laughs> From what someone once explained it to me this way, they said that um, the difference is mainly in the bone structure of the front legs. Is that, is that true or do you have you? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, this, something, this is something I need to look into because people have asked me this and every time I'm like, I, they're different. They just are. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I also heard, so the same person also said that over in Australia, they said, and we should have asked some of our Australian people that we've had on here, Nate, but they, they said over in Australia that they consider sea turtles to be turtles and everything else is a tortoise. So like a box turtle would be a tortoise and like a red ear slider they consider tortoises. Only oh. sea turtles are actually tortoises or turtles. Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. My understanding is that um, a lot of, like turtles are aquatic and then a lot of tortoises are like terrestrial so that that's probably a good yeah. difference to look at too um but i don't know like characteristic wise really how to explain it <laughs> and then there's a uh, box turtles existing there that throw a wrench into the whole system yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah has there has there been any looks because you know nowadays especially with like genetics and stuff everyone likes to make everything into some other species or some species. Has there been any look into taxonomy of box turtles of considering them tortoises? Because they're very similar, at least in my opinion. I don't, you're probably more of an expert on that, but. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not really sure. Uh, yeah, I don't, I imagine they have looked into that, but yeah, I haven't, haven't seen anything on it. Um, So other than your uh, herping research, you're also a bit of a wildlife artist as well. You want to go into that at all? Oh, a wildlife artist? Well, artist, I guess. But... No, that's, no, I was making sure I heard you correctly. Uh, yeah, um, I um, I like to draw mainly reptiles and amphibians, uh, but I've been drawing ever since I could pick up a pencil. Um, my family is pretty artistic. My mom is a really good artist, and my sisters are too, and... Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. I, uh, sell like stickers with like reptiles and amphibians on them, but, um, yeah, I 
I've always really liked drawing and it's nice to draw reptiles and amphibians because I feel like they don't normally get the spotlight. So <laughs> yeah, you recently did a really nice piece on a alligator gar skull. It was pretty sick looking. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I love skulls too, you know, normal biologist. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just really enjoy drawing skulls and then like the native, like, uh, like flora that you, you know, you would find them with. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, I really enjoy, uh, art. So <laughs> yeah. in high school, I had a bio two class where, uh, we had a, we actually had a, since it wasn't a required course, the teacher could basically teach whatever he wanted to. So we mostly taught like na native natural history. So we actually had a skull course where we learned all about identifying mammal skulls. And we actually got to uh, preserve some of our own skulls. Oh, that's so cool. And we also had to draw birds. So mixture of skull and art. But okay, that's awesome. <laughs> not to my own horn. Yeah, that's pretty great. <laughs> um, so you said, so you, obviously you study box turtles now, but you said your first love was with toads and, and frogs and stuff like that is is that still more of your favorite thing is the the frog aspect or are you still are you are you big are you big into turtles now is that your thing? Uh, well i i would say probably my most favorite are snakes um snakes okay yes i love snakes um i think they're really interesting i mean i love all reptiles and amphibians yes yeah. yeah, yeah. what interest me the most um uh yeah i uh actually worked on a project in Michigan uh, and where I tracked Eastern Massasauga rattlesnakes. Oh, nice. That's cool. yeah. yeah. And that was a really fun job. Uh, a lot of hard work because snakes like to move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, uh, it was a really neat experience because I got to learn how to handle venomous snakes. Um, so yeah, my, my first love is uh, I do love snakes. Um, but, you know, turtles are close second. <laughs> And I, I will always love toads. They're just, they look so grumpy and I just love them so much. So I'll always enjoy finding a toad. <laughs> Even a cane toad? <laughs> oh, a cane toad? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, yeah. Even cane toads, I like them too. I know they're pretty invasive in, in places, but. <laughs> um, so you you did um, uh, radio some with Eastern Massasaugas of Michigan, what, what were we doing that for? Just um, for like yeah. Um, so it was a uh, after I graduated uh, with my bachelor's, I was a seasonal technician. Uh, I moved around a lot, and um, so in one of those places I went to was Michigan for the rattlesnakes, and uh, we were looking at um, it was on a military base, and hmm. a lot of those snakes had to be removed from certain areas where soldiers were at. And so we're trying to see if um, animals being moved uh, from, you know, their original location had uh, any effects on uh, their movements um, because they were brought to another site on that military base and released. And we want to see how they did after they were translocated. What's, um, what's the Massasaugas range in Michigan? Because I know Michigan gets really cold. Like, are they just in the southern part? Or they, like, can they be in the northern part of Michigan? Well, I know they range all the way up to Canada as well. So, oh, do oh. they really? <laughs> yeah, they're all, all the way up along the north side of like Lake Erie and uh, Lake Huron. So, that's pretty impressive. I guess they can only be active for like a few months out of the year because it's so cold up in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it gets pretty cold up there. <laughs> Actually, I saw a pretty interesting post from someone uh, a few days ago 
where it was like back in November and they found this garter snake out basking, you know, it's like 50 degrees outside and they took a laser temperature measure and put it on the garter snake and it was like 80 degrees. Oh, wow. Just from, just from basking. That's amazing. That is amazing. I've seen, I mean, I remember on Christmas Day once I saw a bunch of, there's this on along the side of my house in the siding, uh, there's always brown and oils and, and uh, or green and oils and, um, five line skinks that poke their head outside of the siding and stuff and they'll bask along the side of the house there and i remember seeing some on christmas day and i was like this is back in georgia um but it was it was actually kind of cold out it was like it was like 50s it was like mid to low 50s and they were they were poking their heads out which i thought was pretty pretty incredible and it was like overcast it was cloudy outside it wasn't like there was a lot of sun so that was pretty oh, that's cool <laughs> yeah Well, uh, Matt, you got any other questions? Um, no, I think that's all my questions. Okay, Emma, you want to close out with anything before we end here? Oh, well, just thanks for having me and thanks for allowing me to talk about my project and my love for reptiles and amphibians. So thanks for having well, it's, me. <laughs> it's been a blast for me. So I can say that for sure. Definitely. It's fun. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much.